believe the unbelievable of God's word and believe in life. Your humility is to take God's word as it is. Tongues and prophecy go hand This is Young Ecclesia Nation. Let your heart be flooded with light as you listen to the word of God in ministration. I Pastor Odudu Essien. God bless you. And write everything down. things that we, we looked at is um, um, I am, the I am, for example, when it says I am in the midst of you. And we looked at the fact that Matthew 28 says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe what I've commanded you. All right? And then now it says, lo, I am with you always. But the rendition actually in the original Greek is actually, lo, I am is with you. That's the that's the proper um rendition of that text lo i am what is with you and i am there where is is the name that god gives to moses when moses says who will i say sent me and he says i am that i am all right so from that we are able to see that jesus is telling them that um the promise of god from genesis all right or the desire of God from Genesis, which is for God to tabernacle with man, for God to um, to fill the earth, for God to live in man or walk in man, all right, has been made a reality. So he says, I am is with you always, all right? Meaning that there's a focus on the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. There's a focus on the indwelling of the Spirit, Okay. And, and so that also tells you, because it says keeping, look at this, going to all the world, or sorry, what was that? <clears throat> um, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you. All right, and that word is observe, is actually to keep in memory, to not forget, to not lose sight of, right? To not what? Lose sight of the things that I have what commanded you. In other words, that means it's possible for you to what? To lose sight of. And the what is the things that commanded you and announces and lo, I am what with you always, even to the religion. So in other words, I am is with you is what you need to keep sight of, the indwelling of the spirit. And so if that's the case, that means the focus of our gatherings and the focus of our meetings is about him, about God, the I am, and his mission. All right, about God and his mission. And if that's the case, that means that what determines our meetings, the content of our meetings, is him. Is his purpose, is his desire. <clears throat> one thing that separates the church from other meetings is the one who called the meeting. What separates church from a social club or from a circus or from a business meeting or from a PTA meeting is who called the meeting all right who called the meeting and what the meeting is for the purpose of the meeting the purpose of the gathering are you seeing that so god is the one who has called these meetings and therefore god is the one who determines how the meetings go and the content of the meetings and that means that you don't have room for many other things inside meetings. There are things that are not bad for example is business empowerment bad nope is um if you say oh it's father's day <clears throat> i want them um, you know we just want to talk to all the fathers and encourage all the fathers and say we see you you are doing what well, you're doing good is there anything wrong with that no 
But you see, the prop, the issue is that the person who called the meeting has a specific thing in mind, and that is his mission. His mission, his purpose, <coughs> the very purpose for which the earth was created, which is his mission. His mission, which is what? That he will have a people on the earth, images. He would have images on the earth. He would have a people on the earth. That is why he created the, 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 the world in the first place. And so if that's the case, then the church is supposed to focus primarily, primarily on his mission. And in, in scripture, now all this I'm saying, I go into it in more detail in, the, in those um, videos I'm talking about. And so you see uh, in scripture where God tells them about the feasts, okay? He tells them about the feasts and the Sabbath. And he tells them, he said, for six days you walk, because six days God walked, but on the seventh day you will rest, right? On the seventh day you rest. And so the idea is that six days you go out there, you do your own um, your own thing. You do your business and everything. But on the seventh day, the seventh day is the rest of God, and that rest of God is not don't. Again, when I'm I'm not teaching rest now, but when we teach on the rest of God, they're going to say the rest of God is actually the purpose of God for the earth. All right, the rest of God is the purpose of the earth. Purpose or the rest of God is the purpose of God for the earth. <clears throat> you see, you remember that text where he says, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. He says, Where is the place of my what? My rest. Where is the place of my rest? So I thought that God has already rested. So he's asking, Where is the place of my rest? Because rest is there, is actually not, it's like how I put rest is a continuous thing. It's like God is out to establish his rest. That's the rest of God. It's not that it has already occurred. But that God is out to what establish his rest. Alright? Establish his rest. And the establishment of his rest is that man and the earth will become his temple. Okay? Man and the earth will become his what? His temple. That is the rest of God. <coughs> so the way it's supposed to be is that six days, you know, you go about your own occupation. Really, you go about the mission of God. But the seventh day. It's supposed to be when you come and <coughs> remember. <clears throat> Seven days supposed to be when you come and what? Remember. It's supposed to be when you come and put in memory or or refresh your memory. <coughs> sorry. Or equip your mind, all right, for the mission ahead of you, for the mission of the church. It's the time to come and remember, to retain the knowledge. You understand? So that's why we cannot we cannot joke with that day. We can't joke with the the days of the gathering. Alright? We can't joke with the days of the gathering. God has always wanted the people and that to that people has always there's always been God's plan that we gather. Alright? That we gather. And we see that gathering, you know, even when <coughs> sorry, in the desert you see that. Bible calls what Moses had. It says the church in the wilderness, the gathering in the wilderness. So it's always been God's plan. So we are not really talking about that. We are going to still look at that. 
the rest of God and all that, which will establish why we gather and all that. But for this particular um, teaching, what we've been focusing on is actually, we've been focusing on what we do when we gather, right? The content of our gathering, right? What we focus on when we gather. It's so important. And <laughs> so you understand that if God gives you the privilege to stand before his people, that you don't abuse the opportunity by, <clears throat> by serving a very weak snack. If God gives you the opportunity to, to lead his people, to, to pastor his people, to teach his people, come there prepared knowing, prepared knowing that what you are there to do is to help them retain in mind, to not lose sight of, all right, their purpose. <coughs> so, by definition, that means that if you are doing things in the gathering that are not focused on the purpose of God, it means that you are going to be weakening the saints. You are going to be distracting the saints. And um, <coughs> you're not going to be giving the saints ample opportunity to be good or equipped enough for the assignment of the gospel. Okay? So, we actually said that the church is a training ground. All right? We said is that the church is what? A training ground. is where training is occurring. A training occurs in the church, in the gathering. And um, one of the most essential trainings that we receive in the gathering is training to handle the word of God. All right? Training to what? Handle the word of God. Now, this is a very... Um, essential um, thing that is near and dear to my heart how to handle the word of God because you know when growing up the way we were <clears throat> taught Bible study Bible study was more like um, Bible study was more like oh, just read your Bible and just ask the Holy Spirit to help you and um, you know he'll help you and you know you study and everything <laughs> and you'll be fine but you realize that that is an oversimplified understanding of the instruction to study the scriptures. And in fact, the word study, if you understand that, if you go to, um, <coughs> if you go to, I think that should be Second Timothy, right? Second Timothy about, um, sorry, well, that should be Second Timothy in three verse um, no Second Timothy two fifteen. All right. So I started to show yourself approved unto God, right? But that word "study" is actually the word "spudas." All right, so that's all in the Greek. And it means to be what? To make effort. Are you seeing that? To be earnest, to be diligent, to labor. Are you seeing that? Um, <coughs> to exert oneself. That means to go the extra mile, to be like his labor. Other usages of the word. Um, see endeavor 
um, endeavor, study, endeavor, do thy diligence. Are you seeing that? Do thy diligence. <laughs> Be diligent. Okay? Be what? Be diligent. Do thy diligence. It says, be diligent because um <clears throat> you can also like there's other um <clears throat> other places where you can um <clears throat> let me see if i can <clears throat> let me see if i can um um uh, see because i want to actually check there's a place i want to show you guys um <clears throat> or okay i think it's a definition i actually want to do so what does it mean to be um diligent right diligent according to scripture okay <clears throat> okay so huh so if you look at that, right? Um if you can look at that, it says having or having or showing what care. Okay, having or showing what care or what conscientiousness and that big word <laughs> go for. <clears throat> so look at this. Conscientiousness the quality of wishing to do one's work or duty well and what and thoroughly. Are you seeing that? To be thorough. To be thorough. Okay? <clears throat> to be thorough. That's the... That's actually the word. You know, that's actually the word. To be what? To be thorough. You get that? Uh-huh. So, you are... It's, the, scripture is, is, the scripture is actually admonishing us to be thorough. To be like... Maybe even our word, even our word thorough, I think even our word thorough needs to be like broken down, right? So maybe, uh, <clears throat> our thorough needs to still be broken down. Uh, <clears throat> okay, now, you know, this just gets more and more interesting. <laughs> to be thorough, now, to be thorough would be, um, <clears throat> to be thorough would actually be, if you can see it there, says complete with regard to every detail, not superficial but partial. Are you seeing that? To be thorough means to complete, to do like, to be very detailed, to... Um, okay, so... If you look at that, to be thorough means to be what? To be com to com to complete with regards to every detail, not what superficial or um sorry about that. To be thorough means complete with every regard to every detail, not superficial or what or partial. Okay? So means you're not being partial, you're being like you are you're going all in, right? You're going all in. <clears throat> and <clears throat> so if you now bring that back to what we're looking at um what we're looking at which is uh 
um, Timothy, all right? That means it's labor. It's the other words are being used here, being labor, um, being thorough, right? Being detailed, being diligent. So to that means to um, what looks simple, like Bible study, just looks like, um, okay, just looks, okay, it's just Bible study. Just let me open my Bible and read it. They are telling you that, um, <clears throat> that that's actually not the attitude with which you go through scripture. And the point here is that, like, I, I think I made this point last week. I said, if you are dealing with the words of eternal life, you are dealing with um, <clears throat> the very words of God or the very word of God, the very, like, you are dealing with the documents that we used to know God. In other words, like, the way God has revealed himself to us, the consistent way he has revealed is through his word and meaning that the way or what his word is is him that we can only know him properly through his word meaning that if you make errors in your teaching or your study of the word those errors will translate to your revelation of god so if you make blunders if you study wrongly you will know wrongly if you study haphazardly, you will know him haphazardly. If you make mistakes in study, right, if you err in study, then you're going to have a wrong impression of God. So when you understand that, right, then you understand that you cannot afford to take it casually or take it anyhow. In Genesis, the first instance of where we see the word of God being um, administered to a person is Genesis. Okay? It's Genesis. And in Genesis, uh, what do we see? So what, what does Genesis tell us? Um, Genesis, Genesis 2 verse um, <coughs> Genesis 2 verse 16. Okay? And the Lord God was commanded are you seeing that? Commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden may freely eat. Now, God commanded, God instructed, all right? So, in other words, that instruction is like a message. God commanded, God commanded, God instructed, okay? Now, okay, these are the usages. Now, the point of that is that this is the first place where we see God's word being given, all right? God commanded the man, God instructed the man, all right? God's word, man was designed to um, to live by God's word, okay? Man shall not live alone by bread alone, but by what? Every word that what proceeds from the what? mouth of God. Man was made and designed to live by God's word. Why? Because man cannot direct his own steps. Man cannot, man did not make himself, so man doesn't have the wisdom to govern his life. God made man, so man, man's life will make have meaning to the extent that it follows god's word because god's word will be the wisdom for man to govern or direct his life <coughs> so god's word the value of god's word cannot be underestimated and it cannot it can't be overstated but 
What is even worse is that if you handle it, God handle God's word wrongly, your revelation of God is going to be botched. But not just that, the wisdom for living that is in God's word will also be affected, and that means your the, the way you live your life will also be affected. So that means our worship to God, our part of our worship to God, part of our reverence for God, part of our service to God, is to know His word. And if that's the case, then we cannot afford to take his word casually and lightly. And there's, there are reasons for this. Number one, what looks straightforward because you have that nice pink Bible that is on your bed or something and uh, you have all your highlighters and all those things. What makes the task more or what makes it that the task requires diligence is certain factors. For, for one, for example is that you see we who are studying the word of god uh, have to realize the bible was written for us but it was not written to us that the audience of the scriptures if you look at the bible that you are reading is thousands of years old the culture is thousands of years old <clears throat> The people who were who who the Bible was written to is um, like they are, they are far removed from your culture and the way you see things. They are so far removed from your culture. I'll I'll give you an example. All right. So if you remember Genesis two, when the Bible says that um, God puts the uh, as God put the man into a deep sleep, right? Remember that text? All right. God puts the man into what? A deep sleep. And what happens? Cause a deep sleep to fall on, on Adam. Okay. And uh, maybe I'll just show you guys that. All right. Cause a deep sleep to fall on Adam. Okay. And he slept. Now, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead of thereof. You know what our minds go to in this text? Is our minds go to surgery, right? Can I get a witness? Our minds tend to go to surgery, right? Surgery, like God put him to a sleep, right? So it's like an anesthesia, put him to some sleep, and then opened him and then took out one of his ribs, right? That's what goes into our minds. Now, I mean that that makes sense if you if you are if you are regarding our own culture. Right, and our culture means our own knowledge, what we know today about science. So you now remember that these people you are dealing with people how many thousands of years old? Old, they don't know. They don't know about surgery, and they don't know about anesthesia. So if they are writing this, and they say because uh, we just tend to like assume that okay it's like you know maybe Moses was just here and then God was showing him a vision and he was just seeing it and then just writing uh, that, ain't, that ain't it chief that ain't, that, that's not exactly a chief that's not what happened here you know? <laughs> that's not exactly what's happening here um, they are writing based on their culture because before this time there's always already been um, <clears throat> first of all let me even say this Ah, Holy Spirit, I want to say this. 
they are writing based on the audience that they are speaking to or they are trying to communicate with number one and so they are not exactly in fact they don't even know not to say they're not concerned they don't even understand like god is walking through their knowledge <coughs> the story of adam and eve for example is not something that is unique to or or the, the you know it's not unique to the hebrews if you're aware like this the idea of creation and all that stuff it's not unique to the hebrews i don't know if you're aware of that it's not unique to them all right let me say this adam was not hebrew Adam is not the Hebrew. All right? He's not Hebrew. <laughs> you need to think about it more. Adam is not Hebrew. Is that a Jew? When was the Jewish nation formed? Is it not like from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all that? Way after. So, Adam is not a Jew. So, even the word Adam, all right, Will be is a Jewish word. Adam is a Jewish word, right? Adam Eve is a Jew. They are Jewish words, meaning that that is was most likely not even the guy's name. This the name they. So that already tells you that they are trying to teach something, isn't it? It's they are being deliberate, taking a story that was already known. You know, it's not, not the old ones now. You have the Canaanites, you have all these other guys, you have Babylonians later, and all that. And so these are like origin stories that are already common to those cultures. And so they are like, what's the word? They are using some narratives that are already common to the culture to, to pass across, you know, a, a teaching, all right, or let play that, or something that God wants to pass across. So the, the audience here clearly, they, are, they, they don't know anything about anesthetics. They don't know anything about, uh, don't know anything about surgery, cutting and all that. They don't know all that. So the, the, even the idea of the deep sleep and all that, it's not anesthesia that is in their mind, though. <laughs> it's not anesthetic that is in their mind at all. Far from it. Far from it. All right? Uh -huh. So that's not what's on their mind. You get what I'm saying? Uh, so, in fact, if you look at it, that word, the deep sleep, right, is the same word... Um, I mean, the, the word can mean other things in other places, but first of all, the idea of a deep sleep like anesthetic and seizure is not common. They don't understand what that is. So you, you can't really use that word. You have to. Um, we So we look at the usage, all right? The usage of that, um, of that, um, of that, like, so I want to show you guys, like, um, Genesis, so look at this. Genesis 2.21, right? Okay, Genesis 2.21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep, right, to fall on Adam. And he what? And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and clothes. So, but look at this word, deep sleep. Deep sleep. If you click, uh, this is a lexicon. So, it gives you, the, this caused a deep sleep is one word, basically. Just one word. So, when we open it up like this, it gives you the word, the original Hebrew word. So, that's Tardema, Okay. And here already it tells you here it says a lethargy or by implication a trance. Did you see that? A trance. So all right out the gate tells you that this could be a trance. Now it says deep sleep. So if we go and look at the usage, look at this total KJV occurrences. That is how was this word used in other places? 
in the Bible. This particular word, Tardema. Tardema. That's how it is pronounced. How is this word used in other places? So you click the KGV occurrence, and then you have. So <coughs> first you have this 221, God caused a deep sleep. Then you have Genesis 15, 12. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. Now, so look at this. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. So look at this. So when we come there, the same word, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abraham, Know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger in land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and shall, shall afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards they shall come out with a great substance. And you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall bear in a good age. But in the fourth generation shall come either again, for the iniquity of Amorim is not full, and it came to pass. So, now, so you need to see something that, remember all this is Abraham in a deep sleep, right? He's in a deep sleep. What does that mean? Abraham is in a trance at this point. Abraham is in what? He's in a trance. He's in a trance. It's not exactly, um, it's not what, it's, he's in a trance. That means he's having a vision. Okay? Okay, that gives us a clue. Now, if we go back to our search. Um, you see, First um, Samuel, here is used like normal deep sleep. Or in this case, a deep sleep from the Lord. All right. Now look at Job 4 verse 13. In thoughts from, from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men. Are you seeing that? The visions of the night. So you are seeing again, you are looking at a trance, a vision. All right. Um, Job 33, 15, the same word. In its dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep, I see, falls upon men. So you look at the context of where that word is being used again. It's like a vision, all right? That is that's like a trance, okay? Um, <clears throat> so you so you can see it's either used for that. Now the thing is, that if you go back to that text, um, go back to the first one, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept and took one of his ribs, closed up the, the, the flesh inside of it thereof so first of all you are realizing that okay so that means that what you are seeing here is um this deep sleep is not like it is not an anesthesia actually it's like adam falls into a vision right adam falls into a vision and then sees something are you seeing that adam was falls into a vision and then what sees something and then and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Right? And Adam said, This now is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and she can be called woman. Okay? So, in other words, what Adam says when he sees her is a result of you get what he saw when he slept. I don't know if are you are you guys following me. It's what he saw. Is from what he saw when he slept, that when he woke up, also that he used to identify her, <laughs> which is interesting because uh, we can also do a study on the rib, that missing because you know there's also the missing rib uh, talk, the missing rib kini, my missing rib, my missing rib, uh, whatever. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to go into that, but I'll just give you guys a shortcut that missing rib or, or that rib thing, all right, rib kini. That rib uh, is actually 
not a proper rendition for that place. That thing, they actually a more proper rendition. All right, um, is actually uh, how will I put it? It's actually I'm looking for. That rendition is actually his side. It's better. In fact, some of your translations may say side. Some of your translations may actually say he's took from his side, not his rib. So it's not like a rib per se. It's actually a side. And that side, if you go and study how that word side is used all over scripture, you'll find out that it's more of an architectural term. It's like the side of something, the side of something, the side of something, the side of something, all right? Side of something. You know, so in other words, it's more like, you know, God took out of his side and form. So it's more like, uh, it, it, if you think about it, it's more of, um, why does he say, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, right? He's saying that, <laughs> in other words, that we are, of, we are, we are, this, we are the same because you are from my side, you are, you are, you are part of me, like we are the same, that kind of, idea it's not exactly talking about um maybe one rib or something no it's side because most times it's an architectural term so it's more like that two is one kind of thing all right because another thing that she's called is what is the help meet and the help meet if you remember uh, where how the word how that word help meet is used over scripture our help is is when for example god is called the helper of israel Jesus uh, says says that God, you know, He will send the Comforter, that's the Helper, and all that. So you you start to realize that it's not exactly, um, it's not like it's a weakling, but it's a union kind of. Okay, it's a union that God is referring to. Okay, um, I'm deliberately not going into more details to address that, but the point of me demonstrating or showing you this is for you to see that um, Bible study, okay? Bible study is labor. Are you seeing that? Bible study is what? It's labor. Bible study is not, um, I wish it's just opening your Bible and just saying, okay, what is this verse saying to us? Um, okay, I think this verse is saying this, and then that's what it is. Bible study is actually labor you get bible study is labor you have to be diligent as i said be, to be diligent is to actually go into the text you have to study the words you have to study the context you have to study the usage you have to study the culture okay and um <clears throat> before you can arrive at a satisfying conclusion are you seeing that <clears throat> before you're gonna arrive at what is satisfying conclusion so again, as I said, that word just means a part of, you know, a part of or, or his side. That's what that word better means. Are you seeing that? <clears throat> so it says the bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she's taken out of man. Are you seeing that? So it's like taken out of man, taken out of his side. So we are, it's just it's a unity where we are from, where we are the same. So bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, we are the same. That kind of thing. That's the idea. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, we are the same. So that's the idea of, you know, and that that also ties into the quality of the fact that <coughs> um, the woman 
right, is equal to the man there of the same. So it's not really about God taking, taking the whatever. No, remember he said he fell into a vision and then he saw that and he comes out and then he sees the woman. So he now identifies the woman. This is what, or this is your identity. This is what God made you to be. You get. <clears throat> so that's the idea. So Bible study is something that should be treated with all um all reverence, all meticulousness. And that's why um by the special grace of God, because <coughs> some people are already panicking. Uh <laughs> that's why we are going to have uh I've been hinting on the fact that we're going to have a Bible, is it Bible school or Bible study school? Um, soon enough, where we'll actually be looking at the principles of of study, how to study the scripture. Are you seeing that? How to what? Study the scripture, the laws of of Bible interpretation, context, pretext, posttext, and all that. Meanwhile, please, Edjo, one of the things as we go on this journey, I always like to say, please share what you understand. <clears throat> Don't share what you don't understand. Are you with me? Share what you want to understand. Just because you heard me say something doesn't mean you understand it. It takes time to learn. One of the marks of maturity is to know when to share what. Are you seeing that? One of the marks of maturity is to know when to what, to share what. So you know exactly when to... Um, <clears throat> Because if you don't, number one, if you don't, if you don't understand enough, and you're going to shut up excitement, you're going to harm yourself, and you're going to harm other people who hear you because you cannot explain well. So you will leave them hanging, you know, and everything. <laughs> so you take your time to really properly <clears throat> understand. So that when you're asking and questions, or when you are talking or explaining and questions are being asked, you are able to explain well. Are you seeing a part a good a good Bible teacher? can explain well are you seeing that you don't speak out of excitement because you just learn something new you take your time and understand some things before you actually begin to right <coughs> before you begin to spew those things so clearly you've seen what we've said that it is um the bible study you know is one of the things that we are we are trained in church the church is where you are trained to handle the word of god you are trained to what? To handle the word of God properly. All right? To handle it properly. That's where you receive that training. It's a skill. You develop the skill. You develop the skill. The skill of interpreting scriptures. All right? And it's for all disciples, not just the pastor that ought to learn it. Now, another thing to note in Bible interpretation, for example, again, we're talking about the fact that you are dealing with a culture that you are far removed from culture that existed many thousands of years ago <clears throat> and so that means that the language because it's not just you're learning the language but you're not just learning the language you're learning the culture so you can't say no all this greek and hebrew ah i better go ah it's, oh, it's not my kind of thing no if you honor god it's your kind of thing no it's your kind of thing it's value for god that let that puts you in that place whereby you study like that <coughs> you must be interested why? Because if you really want to know what the Word of God is said, and you should want to, because there is no other book in the world that contains more precious information, more information that is so impactful to your life, 
as I said, medicine is like maybe after scriptures, you can say maybe medicine or something. But medicine just affects where you are, <clears throat> affects you in the natural plane. What profits a man to be healthy and lose his own soul? You can be healthy, you know everything in medicine, you practice everything, but even medicine doesn't know everything. Medicine cannot tell you that you have a spirit or that you are a spirit being. You know, in medicine, when they cut you open, have you ever seen a cadaver? When they cut the cadaver open, they can cut the cadaver and exploit them, but they don't understand the animating force of the body. They don't understand the spirit at all. And they can't really understand that because, you see, science just has to do with studying the material world, studying what it can see, perceive, observe. Are you with me? What it can see or observe, it cannot study. You see that? So it's only scripture that takes you beyond the natural to help you understand, okay, this is what this is. So we owe it to ourselves to, 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 to be diligent. <clears throat> so if you have a language, um, Father, I'll show you, let me show you a text. Uh, Luke 24. Is that Luke? Yeah, Luke 24, 25. Luke 24, verse 25. I don't see that to you. It's not like we're just, it's not just logical thinking. I'll show you that even Jesus, all right? These are the principles. We call them the Jesus principles of interpretation. Even Jesus, you know, himself, observe these principles so let's look at this and beginning at moses and all the prophets he expounded to them in all the scriptures so notice was he expounding the scriptures but look at this he expounded what does that word explain expounded dear menu dear dear menu now <coughs> it means to explain thoroughly but by implication it means to translate are you seeing that? And that is to interpret. So what's going on? Let's unpack that. All right. Um, let's see how it's used. Maybe that will help. Okay, expounded. Okay, look at this. He expounded. It's the same word in Acts 9.36. Now there was a job by setting disciple named Tabitha, which by what? By interpretation. It's called Dockers. In other words, you take Tabitha and you all you translate it to another language so you are interpreting. And it's Dockers. Are you seeing that? So Jesus was interpreting. First Corinthians 12, verse 30. Right? Um, <clears throat> First Corinthians 12, verse 30. Have all the gifts of healing. Do all speak tongues? Do all what? Interpret. Are you seeing that? So you are seeing here again another word. Because this is also how you study to get a better feel of the word, how that word is used in scripture. Alright? And so you keep on saying first Corinthians 4 verse 5, except he what interpret. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 13, let him speak in an unknown tongue, pray that he may interpret. So, keep on seeing it. In fact, every other use case, 1 Corinthians 14, 27, if any man speak in an unknown tongue, let him by one, two, three, and the most by three, and by that cause, let that one interpret. So, in the, the use case, <coughs> interpret, all right, <clears throat> has been like the number one, will I say, use case of, of the text, interpret. Are you seeing that? So, if you even have a dictionary understanding of interpret, it has to do with um, language. All right. Um, so, it's to, it has to do has a lot to do with 
can have something to do with other things, but um, it can mean to explain the meaning of something, but it can also mean to translate from one language to what to another. Okay, to exp translate from what from one language to another. So if we go back to that text, Luke 24, verse 20, 27, <coughs> it says, At beginning of Moses and all the prophets, he ex he interpreted unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus would so at, at this time, um, because of the, the general language that is Greek, okay is greek and although i think the 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 way they their lingua or the lingo the, the their language the native language is aramaic but the <clears throat> popular you know language is greek that people speak the official language and so of course it's also hebrew as well so so jesus would actually um <clears throat> jesus would actually uh, what's the word? Jesus would actually interpret. He would go into the original Hebrew, right? Sometimes he would actually go into the original Hebrew language of the Old Testament, because the Old Testament, Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and he would interpret it into Greek. He would interpret. He would say, "Okay, this is what this means." And I think I you know I've shown you guys some examples of this as well. For example, I showed you that text. Um, um that should be Matt, um John, right? The book of John 1, where it says, In the beginning was the word, the word was a God, the word was God. Okay. That should be John 1. In the beginning, the word was a God, the word was God. Now, that word is the word, if you check it, that word is logos, all right? And well, logos has to do with the, for example, the reasoning, the logic, the thought behind what you say you know and all that stuff that's the idea of logos and you know you may be a bit uh, more like what does that what is what uh, what's within what do you mean by his the logical order but <coughs> so you have so you start to understand that when you say the word all right that they are referring to a concept that is well known in the old testament okay in fact, because notice that this word, right, the word was a God, the word was God. In other words, this word they are referring to is a person. Now, in the Old Testament, there is a similar concept of, a, of the word, all right, the word of the Lord, okay? The word of the Lord. And so, if we actually go to um, the text, and we now look for the word of the Lord, right? Um, you may have what of the Lord. Mm. So now look at this. So if we, I'll come back to that. You see, <clears throat> Genesis fifteen, verse one. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. So, you look at the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, right, actually came, a person, he came. The word of the Lord, what? Came unto Abraham. Did you see that? He came unto Abraham in a vision. 
Genesis 15 verse 1, Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him again, saying, This shall not be your heir, but he that shall come forth from your own bowels. Are you seeing that? So, you are seeing that the word of the Lord seems to be a person. Right? Seems to be a person. And if we keep on going, um, <coughs> um, you keep on going, You see, looking for other examples where you see that phrase, okay? Mm, okay, have to do a better search. Word of Lord. Okay. Um. Anyway, you, if I find it, I'll show you uh, where you see that the word of the Lord, you know, consistently, right, is referred to as a person. Are you seeing that? The word of the Lord is consistently referred to as a person. And... <clears throat> And so you you now find I think I'm looking for. Okay. In fact, he's the word of the Lord, but there are other places where you also see that he's also called the angel of the Lord. For example, Numbers twenty-two verse thirty-five, the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, "Go with your men." But and but you realize if you read it, you realize that it's the same guy. The word of the Lord is also the angel of the Lord. You realize it's the same guy. It's not <laughs> you get. It's the same guy. All right. Uh, I'm actually looking for, um, where is it? Looking for where Samuel comes in. Where you see, I should just refer Samuel. Aha. So look at this. First Samuel um, 3 verse 1. 1 Samuel 3 verse 1. Okay. Samuel 3 verse 1. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> and Charles Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no, now notice the word of the Lord was precious. That means it was scarce. But what, what did they say? But there was no what? Open vision. So that means the word of the Lord here they're referring to is, is a divinely granted appearance. In other words, a being would come. Do you understand? So in other words, at this time, they were not really that the word of the Lord was not coming to people. It's not just a it's not like a word would just come to someone, you just say a word, no, or you hear something, no. A person would come. Are you seeing that? So uh so that the so no notice it now says the word was scarce to lay the foundation of what they're about to say. And when Eli lay down in his place, his eyes began to dim, he could not see, and the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of, of God was. And Samuel was laid down to sleep that the Lord called to Samuel. Notice who called. The Lord. Are you seeing? The Lord called to Samuel. He ran to Eli, here I am, you called me. And he said, I called not to lie down again. And he went, same thing, the Lord called. So the Lord called. Now, the seven, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Notice it's the Lord, the Lord, a person. It's not one voice. It's a person that came. Neither was what? The word of the Lord. 
Are you seeing yet what revealed unto him? So, still a person. And what? The third time, Eli tells him what to do. He says, speak for your servant years. Now look at verse 10. See verse 10. And the Lord came and what? Stood. Did you see that? <laughs> the Lord came and what? Stood. So, <laughs> so if it's just a voice, which voice comes to come and stand? Are you seeing that? The Lord came and what? Stood. So you can see clearly that this word is the logos. Like, so what's happening here is that this is the personality. This is Yahweh that has been coming throughout like you know their history and everything and so john wants to tell us that that same word right became flesh that is that word that will come to them in a vision or like joshua would see him physically or all those people that same word of the lord it says it now says the word became flesh in the beginning was the word to tell you that, that word in the old testament is god and it's that word that now became a man, you know. So the point is they're looking for a word in the, like, because if you see the, the word of the Lord, right? Uh, uh, let me see. Um, okay, that word of the Lord, that word is Daba, right? Daba, okay? It's the word Daba. Now, so... Daba, that's the word. Now, when they were seeking to translate it from the Hebrew to the Greek, the word they now found was what? Was Logos. To them, that's probably the closest word that they could find, right? So, you see, all these matters when you are doing Bible study, all this background knowledge matters. It's not that the Christian cannot study the Bible by himself. He can but you need the you need foundation to be laid. You need guidance to be laid. I, I always like suggest that if you are like anyone who's maybe um, studying the Bible, that you should actually just you know read it through. To, let's just at least know what's inside. Read it through. Read it through. Read it through. Know what's inside. But know that reading is not studying, right? And that if you are going to study, that you are you must study with the right tools, with the correct tools. Okay, there are tools of Bible interpretation. There are tools we use to interpret scriptures. So now, and and note another thing is that when you are, so since you are looking at different languages, you are moving from one language to another. That means you are not just translating. You are also interpreting as well because you are also dealing with the meaning. If you are going to move a word from um, what do you call it, from Hebrew to Greek or from Hebrew to English or from Greek to English, right? Or from Greek to Yoruba. You have to be aware that <coughs> in that bit to translate, you are interpreting. And that can change the meaning of the word drastically. So you are seeing faithfulness to the word of God. Faithfulness, part of discipleship is to steward God's word, is to pay attention, to be faithful to it. To be faithful to the proper meaning of the text. Are you seeing that? Because every text has a proper meaning. 
there's a proper mean there's the intention of the author being communicated to you the intention the true intention of the author being communicated to you that this is what i meant when i wrote this thing we don't have a right to import our own ideas our own understanding our own mindset into the text we can't say for example um Imagine like what I just showed you about the word. Then you go and pray or you are studying and then you now feel like, no, you see the word there, right? The word that was God, the word was God. Ah, the word, the Bible was with God. The Bible is God, you know? And you now say, well, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. You know, you can't do that. You know, you just can't do that. That that is clearly not the Holy Spirit. It's clearly not the Holy Spirit. It, it's too clear. It's not the Holy because let me even say it like this: the Holy Ghost does not interpret Scripture for you because the authority of the meaning of the text is with the text. Let me say it again: the authority of the meaning of the text is what is with the text. It's with the text. So, the highest the Holy Ghost can do is guide your study. And of course, when you are, you know, diligent and all that, it guide your study. But to arrive at the conclusion, it's not the Holy Ghost that will do that. And this is where sometimes we tend to get into error. Where we say, ah, I was really, I was asking, say, Holy Ghost, what does that verse mean? And then you say, the Holy Ghost told me. But meanwhile, when we come and research it, the way we have done, you now realize this is not what this thing is saying at all. I say, no, 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 no. The Holy Ghost told me. I will gladly disregard your Holy Ghost. You know, because maybe it's not the Holy Ghost. Maybe it's your Holy Ghost. I will gladly disregard your Holy Ghost. Because there's nowhere in scripture that tells us that he would be the one to tell us the meaning of the Bible. No. He guides your study. But properly interpreted scriptures will give you the meaning. If you have the right tools, you know what you're doing. You have the skill. You are able to go into the text. And the point of it is that there's evidence. Like what I just showed you. It's clear. The word of the Lord is a person. You come here, you see the same thing. The word of the Lord they're referring to is a person. It's still a person. So you see the relationship between it. The point is I'm presenting evidence. The one I just showed you in Genesis, right? The one of the vision, right? I didn't just say from, say from my head. I went in there. We went in there together and we saw the usage of the words. So the point is that there are facts. There's evidence to back it up. It's not something I was just saying from my head. And that's the point because if you are going to also be a proper student of the word, and maybe teach, for example, what I just said about the whole thing. You should be also be able to follow the methodology. And I just showed that Jesus himself, this is what he was doing, that, there were, that sometimes you're having to interpret from one language to another. That means that every version of the Bible you are reading, whether it is your KJV, NIV, and all that, they are all translations. But even more importantly, they are all interpretations. That means a human being like you and I sat down with the text and then said, what could this mean? In another, you know, what could this mean when you look at the text? And then how do I convert it into another language? 
And so in all doing all that, he is interpreting. He's interpreting. And so that means that no translation has the final authority of the meaning of a text. So don't fall in love with your KJV Bible. After all, if you go, you go to open five different Bibles, you're going to see that there are sometimes the, the way some other people feel like, no, this word is better, this other word is better, and all those things. But <coughs> in the end, what will clearly separate or, or prove the truth is properly exegeted or well-interpreted scriptures. You will now notice another thing that we are supposed to be very well aware of is called eisegesis. And eisegesis is when you lift a portion of the text and try to give that meaning on its own. And this particular um, modus operandi is very common among us Pentecostals where we, we do it a lot. We pick a scripture that has nothing to do with and we, we give it life and make it stand on its own. Or we, we pick a scripture from here and we give our own interpretation. Pick a now from here, give our own interpretation. Pick a now, give our own interpretation. And so we are like, we just mash up the whole thing. And, you know, we see, we see where that leads us. Because, you see, fact is important. You see, oh, now all this is not, I'm not showing you all this is to, oh, oh he knows, because even me, I was taught. How do we know which translation is correct? And that's the point I'm saying. It's not about the translation. It's about the work of interpretation. Meaning that if you're using a translation, you still, you see what, like, if you look at my own uh, setup, you'll see that I have all these uh, nice, uh, like my Bible, my study Bible. I use Esau, by the way. Esau, uh, study Bible. <coughs> and um, <coughs> Esau, study Bible. And this one, if you look at one, this is KGB Plus. So why am I interested? Because it gives me the um, original words. These are the original words. And I'm able to go in there and look at the word. Because in the end, Bible study has a lot to do with the word and the usage of words. So that's the point is that if you like, let the translation be the latest translation. It is the, you still have to, you can use any Bible, but you still have to be able to go into the original text and look in and say okay what does this mean right and what does it mean and remember what i did i didn't just show you oh this is what means in the greek no i also looked at the usage why because sometimes what you see is that you have one word and one word can have like five or six or seven or eight different kinds of what it could be mean it could mean more you now look at the way the people in that culture use the word you now realize oh this is most likely the use case for this word like we just looked at interpret, right? Just that word interpret um, in Luke 24, verse 25 or 27. And you see the King James said he expounded. But when we went through the other text, we realized interpret, 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 that, that the use case for that word seems to be more of interpret. Thoroughly explain and interpret. So you now start getting an idea. Okay, this is how this word is actually being used in the text. Are you seeing that in the text? Another example of usage is when we go to Genesis 1, for example. Genesis 1, verse um, 26. Genesis 1, 26. All right. And it says what? 
and let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Now, if you've <coughs> been in Christendom long enough, you've probably heard several iterations of this word. Um, man in our image, in our image, in our image. And it's been used to say a lot of things. Some people will say the image of God is... Uh, um, is your because you you know your intellect, right? The fact you can think, the fact you can um, reason, right? Your intelligence and some will go as far as to say it's your eyes, your nose, your mouth, and all that. But you see, the problem with these ideas is that they are very easily refutable. So if you say it is your intelligence, the question will now be: What do you do with the baby? is a baby is not as intelligent as a dog, for example. Like it or not, it's true. <coughs> if a dog goes somewhere, the dog can find its way home by itself. Now, leave your two-year-old outside or, or somewhere and, and expect the two-year-old to do the same thing. Obviously, it's, uh, it's not going to work. So what does that mean? It means that you know, you can't use intelligence because there are animals that are more intelligent than humans and sometimes. What do you do with a human being, for example, who is brain dead? He's a vegetable lying in a hospital bed and is brain dead or is in a vegetative state and cannot process things very well. What do you do with that human being? Are you saying, like, are you seeing the problem with using certain features or aspects to define the image of God? Are you seeing that? Then if you say, uh, we have eyes, we have nose, we have mouth, ah. Monkeys have eyes, they have nose, they have mouth. So, are we saying monkeys are also in the image of God? Yeah, and I mean, so the, the list goes on and you now start to realize that you can't import your own idea or understanding into the text. You have to allow, go into the text and allow the text, study the text and allow this, the text give you the meaning. Are you seeing that? The text has to what? Give you the meaning. So, in this case, all right, let us make man our image after our likeness. Okay? So, that word in our image is what? It's Selem. Right? Selem. Of course, the word Selem has <coughs> the word resemblance, but has representation as well. It says figure, especially an idol. So, I want to look at the other use cases of Selem. How is Selem, all right, Selem used in other places? So, I click the occurrences and it brings out this. And so, God created man in his own image. That means there's something about God that is common to man. So, Verse 3, and Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness. Notice that. After his what image. Okay, and called him what his name Seth. Okay, let's keep going. Who sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed for his, for in the image of God made him man. Okay, let's keep going. Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land, as Numbers 33, verse 52, from behold, before you, 
you shall destroy all their pictures and destroy all their words. Their molten images. Same word. Images. That is idols and quite pluck down all their high places. All right. Um, First Samuel says, Wherefore you shall make images of your emeralds, all right, and images of your mice that mark the land, and you shall give glory unto the God of Israel. So you see, images of what? Of mice. So obviously, an image is not the same thing as what it is an image of. Are you seeing that? Now, it's not the same as what's an image of. And they laid the ark of the God of the Lord upon the cat and the coffer with the mice of gold and the images okay, of their emeralds. So, let's keep going. And all the people of the land went in the house of Baal, Baal, right? And broke his altar and his images. Notice his altar and his, what, his images. So, that, again, idols break the pieces thoroughly and slew Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altar and the priest appointed the officer. So, <coughs> we keep on seeing that it's idols, idols, idols. Second Chronicles 23:17. Then all the people went to the house of Baal and break it down and break his altars and his images in pieces. Now, what images is that word celeb? So you see his idols. Alright. <clears throat> okay. Psalm 29, verse 6. Surely every man walks in a vain show. In vain show is the word. But we just keep on going. Okay. We keep on going. Ezekiel 7:20 is the same thing. Images, idols. All right. Um, <clears throat> um, image where I gave you made some images of men and did commit hodom. Okay. So, look at Ezekiel twenty three fourteen, and she increased her hodoms for when she saw men portrayed upon the wall, the images of the Chaldeans portrayed. So you can see, keep on seeing that it's image, 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 image. All right, image, image. Sense with that word. All right, image. So Genesis 1 26, when you say the word image, all right, what should likely come to your mind is an idol. And now it's an idol. And now when we say idol, um, it's also this is where you now context, cultural context now comes in. Now, okay, what was it like for them to worship idols in those days? And you realize that images, they had these images that they erected, um, idols for the gods in their in those cultures. And the idol was not just um, like a whatever. The idol is also supposed to represent the god. In fact, it wasn't just gods they made idols for. They also made idols for kings. And the idea was that that image, wherever the idol was or the image was, represented the king or the god to the people over there. That's why you see where, for example, Nebuchadnezzar makes an image and then has the people bow to the image because the idea is that that God, the God has come or the God, the image represents the God. And not just that, but in some cases, they had these rituals where the God would actually come into the idol. Are you seeing that? The God would come into the image. So the image obviously is not the God, but the image represents the God. And in fact, the God could be present in the image. In other words, the manifestation of the God is the image. So you start to get an idea of how this thing works. So when the Bible says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, 
All right, let them have dominion. In other words, God is saying that he wanted to make representations, those who would represent him on the earth. Man would want to represent him. So man is made in God's image, but you see, that image, man can choose to, uh, to allow it to function, or man can choose not to. But he has the image. That's my man is in his image. But he can choose. So image that seems to be like a verb, like a verb, like something you do, a representation of God. And that would mean that that person would be in God's service. We see the same idea in Genesis 2, where God places man in the garden. And I've explained the garden before, that the garden is Ezekiel, I think, calls it the garden of God or Isaiah. And in that garden, the garden is supposed to be where God is. So because it's where God is, it is God's temple. That means God's dwelling place. And so if you bring man in there, that means that man is not, is being brought into that, but man is also supposed to, it says, fill the earth. It tells them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That means man is supposed to, that function he's serving in the garden, all right, as an imager, because God tells him that he should walk the garden, he should tend it to keep it. In other words, what is his work? His work is to host the presence of God. His work is to serve God. That means he has a what we call a priestly role or function. And he's supposed to extend that all over the earth. Supposed to extend that all over the earth. So you start seeing the concept or the idea of Father, man is an imager of God. Man is a representation of God. And of course, remember we said that the 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 and that would also mean that man was made to be God's temple. Because if man is going to be an image of God, the 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 man would also be his temple. Because those idol, those cultures, the God would come and live inside the idol, and that's why God would tell children of Israel that there should be no graven image. Why? Because He already has one, which is man. Man is His image. Man is the is the idol of God. Man is the image. God wants to what tabernacle live inside man, and be an ex, and express Himself through man. So man is already idol. Man does not need to now build a like the other gods that will put wooden or gold or bronze or whatever, and then the god will come into this one. God's intention is to come into man. Are you seeing that? That's the plan to come into man. This is plan. <clears throat> wants to live in man. Are you seeing that? So that now gives you that idea of the fact that man's design was always to host God inside him to have the life of God. Or you fast forward to Genesis 3. Genesis 2, he's offered it. Genesis 3, he wants, he rejects it. Are you seeing that? Genesis 2, he's offered it. Genesis 3, he wants, he rejects it. So, tend to get an idea. But what I'm just showing you is that the way we arrive at this conclusion. And so, stuff like this, you can actually, you know, I don't, you can have fun with this wherever you can pick a word. And you just check the usage all over the Old Testament and even to the New. Look at the usage of the words. And then that just gives you, like, you'll be shocked at, like, okay, you know, like, oh, this is how this word was used, though. Yeah, so that means this is not what they're really, you know, you start making, um, you know, discoveries. Are you seeing that? You start, um, <clears throat> you start making uh, discoveries. So, for example, <coughs> let me see. Uh,
Um, okay, yeah. Okay, no, this one is too much. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot. There's one I want us to look at righteousness, right? Righteousness, as the word said, or call in Hebrew. For example, Abraham believed God, they counted him for righteousness, okay? So if you want to know what, what is the righteousness, what does that mean? You can actually do a study and you can go and look at the use cases of that word in other places, right? And you, you see um, you see how it was used, okay? So, for example, he believed God and accounted for righteousness. That's Genesis 15, verse 6. But if you go into other texts, all right, you start seeing that uh, Genesis, for example, 18, verse 19, For I know him that he will command his children and his household after me, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That word justice is the word righteousness right <coughs> it's the word righteousness uh-huh so you start getting an idea um uh that righteousness just means to be to be right you know to be just you know start getting an idea of that and that can that can have several implications i'm not going to give you the implication on this one we'll discuss that one another time but it gives several implications and so the point is bible study first of all you learn like you're learning of me now. And then those small things, you can begin to look through scripture. That's Bible study, really. You can just begin to read it, but you can begin to look through scripture to see how is that word used, how is that word used. Oh, you look at this place, you read what the content, what, what are they talking about here? You get an idea, you get the gist of it. Yet, Jesus trained his disciples this way. Paul also trained his disciples this way, right? Um, Second Timothy 2, the things you heard of me among many witnesses. Um, coming to faithful witness, faithful to who, who coming to faithful men who will be able to what teach others also. You see that, so it is the mode of of interpretation that Jesus handed down to his disciples. It is what the disciples handed down to the others. So interpreting scriptures is a crucial, um, it's a crucial element of discipleship very very crucial very very part and parcel right of the whole thing um <clears throat> glory to god okay so right of hebrews expected his disciples to be that um i think it's hebrews 5 12 where he says by now you ought to be what taking meat but you still need to be what Going to be taught the oracles of God, right? Hebrews 5 12. Yes, it's correct. For when the, the time you ought to be teachers, you have need or wanted you again. So God expects that we be what teachers. You see, now God expects that we be what teachers. So in discipleship, we learn how to rightly divide the word. All right, and it is worship to God when you are diligent with handling His word. In other words, it is important to God because if you are truly going to know the God you serve, then the word must be rightly interpreted for you to know the God you serve. If not, you'll be serving a false God or you will have a poor understanding of the God you serve. Are you seeing that? So, I think. Uh, 
I've made my case. I didn't plan to stay this long in this part, but I think I've been able to make a case. All right. So I would, I think I would hang the cape right here. I'd hang the cape, you know, right here. Then I would ask you, um, <clears throat> what you are also um, receiving from this. So, <clears throat> so I'm going to ask. So if gone through all that so that's before we close all right um we have about 20 minutes i'd like to get and also i'd like to get questions as well so um what is your what what are your what are you what do you have questions you know you, good disciples have questions by the way so what are your questions number one number two uh what are you taking what's your take home from the teaching what are the things that have done on you as you've heard the teaching Good disciples are good listeners, and good listeners always have questions. So let's see the goodness of the people that are listening. All right. Okay. Chukuga, go ahead. Good evening, sir. Um, thank you so much for the teaching. Um, there was a question I, I had before, but I think as you were talking, I think you answered the question. You said something about um, an image isn't the same thing as what is an image of. So um, I think that makes sense because um, an image isn't the same. The image and what's an image of are two different things. So I think that's very clear. That if I'm correct, so is that right? Uh, so to be to be more clear, um, <clears throat> yes, the imager. Remember, we use a verb. You are imaging something you get so you're an imager that's what you are you're an imager and that means you're a representative of the deity so the imager is not the image you get for example we are not god right a mankind is actually mankind that is imaging god right um mankind is imaging god like mankind so it says man is made his image, talking about mankind, it's mankind, that we are, our responsibility, why we were made is to be what? To be images of God. That's the, that's the crux of, of the whole thing. We are made to be what? To be images of God. So we can either fail or pass in that regard, but we are not ourselves God, you know, and it's sometimes some of this, some of this faulty theology that puts us on the same, you know, we are God. Whatever God can do, we can do. That's not true. God made the world. You can't make the world. That's the, that's the truth. Right? You have limitations. God was not created. You are created. Right? So, <laughs> we are nowhere near the same class as God. Rather, God resides in us. That's just what is special about it. I don't know. How, does that help answer your question? Yes, sir. So I also had like a contribution to say. I think I understood more about the whole. Um, I know we discussed a lot about in the Smarter version, but I think I further understood the one about man being um, how image is a, is a verb in that man was created to be like an, a temple, an idol, quote unquote, for God to live inside. And then him, you cannot reject. You can't reject the deity even inside of you and still claim to be the image of that deity. So, I mean, in your 
and that's obviously what it means when man rejected um, the life of God. So I think I further okay, I further understood what it, the fact of image being a verb, being a function, and that we're created as temples, as idols on inputs, and then we're created for God to live inside of us, for God to express himself through us, for him to live inside of us. That's my conclusion. Okay. Thank you very much. Very much. Okay. So, next person. Okay. Uh, Priscilla, go ahead. Okay. Good evening, sir. Thank you for giving up to come. I'm going to ask my question first because I, I, I don't know how it should sound after I news. So, the question I have is like, you know how God divided the nations and he puts different um he put different members of the divine council over those nations. When they supposed, I mean, I know they were supposed to represent his authority, but the way we represent him is because we have the spirit of God. So how would like and then they became like they now made themselves into idols because they now wanted to be worshipped, just like taking that worship and giving it back to God. So how does that not like tie? How do I explain this? How does that like tie into them being were they idols as well, or they were just representatives of God's authority, the way we are like representatives of authority because we have a spirit? Does that make sense? Okay, so okay, so first of all, I think that the plan man is unique in the sense that this is what is man that you're mindful of him. Man is unique in the sense that man, God made him a temple. Do you understand? Yes. Yes. To live inside. Man, I, I think scripture man is unique in that sense which is part of where the jealousy they start you know yeah. <laughs> because in that god has forever settled the question of where authority resides and mm -hmm. authority resides in man okay his authority resides mm -hmm. in man so man that means that takes man to be the highest however if genesis 1 i think i'll show you guys genesis 1 let us make man it's not the trinity mm -hmm. us is the divine council so if that's the case let's make man in our image that means that it's also in the image that in our image that means there is an image that is shared so there's a divine council what does that mean it means that the divine council themselves are images of god as well okay. but but that of course they are supposed to do that in like their how i put it in the spirit realm that's what they do they are images okay. of god they carry out his so in the divine council you have god who is who rules through the divine council so they carry out his so that's what we say when we talk about talks about reigning with god ruling with god it's not that we are there mm -hmm. just they do not want is that god is carrying out his function administration through us mm -hmm. do you understand mm -hmm. that is the yes. dominion that god is ruling through us you get so the divine council uh, has that going for them and so we also have that going for us as well. It's that image thing, if you understand that. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That makes sense. Thank you. Okay. So, okay, that's the question. Okay. All right. Okay. So, <clears throat> all right. Another person. Questions or your feedback, your take home your takeaway from here all right i expect people to be able to talk to speak we have 
at least 20 something people so we should have more people speaking uh okay okay rayo asked a question is you want to say that was that was jesus say that was jesus okay what jesus can do can do since jesus is god uh i would say jesus god is in us and his abilities in us and i would limit what we can do to what the word says we can do for example we can heal the sick we can cast out devils we can raise the dead and we can work miracles now miracles by definition is they are they are Miracles are how I put it. Miracles are not they are not consistent with natural laws. <coughs> they are not just consistent because so for example, in miracles there are things like compression of time. In miracle there's acceleration of time as well. In miracle there's um, for example, it's like when a miracle occurs, it's almost as if the laws that are supposed to govern seem to be they are still in operation, but it's as if there is an interjection, there's an introduction of an, another event into the timeline that just doesn't fit with what should happen. For example, a broken bone is a broken bone. And if you leave a broken bone, it's supposed to be that maybe you take the two parts, put them together with some help, it should heal, but it should take like six weeks to heal. But in this instance, it can happen. So I would limit miracles. Now, now. The, the point is that miracles, for example, miracle cannot reverse time. You say I reverse it. No, God, only God can reverse time. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? And we see that scripturally, for example, God is the one who reversed time for Hezekiah 15 minutes before. That is not within your jurisdiction to do. It's a miracle, meaning that, yeah, is it possible? Yes, with God, but to take time back, that one is not within your jurisdiction. I don't think scripture gives us that kind of jurisdiction to do such. Right, but there are many things that we can do. So <clears throat> now it's true that what God cannot does not exist. But when you now talk about man, man has God's ability. However, man cannot do every single thing that God can do. If not, that means that man can create God. Abi. If not, that means that man, for example, can 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 prolong his life that he will live forever, that he will not die. And that's a big lie. You cannot well, you can't do that. No matter how much of the power of God you have, you will still age and you will still die. Maybe you can prolong your years a bit, but you will still die. So there are things that are out of the jurisdiction of man. Man has no control over those things. You get. So we stick to what the scripture shows us that we can do. Rather, so that's why that whole idea, oh, anything just can do, can do. It's just excitement. It's excitement. Rather, I can say he lives in me, and because he lives in me, his power is available to me. To cast to to cast out devils, to heal the sick, to work miracles. You know, miracles contains a whole scope of things that can be done. So I rather stick to that and just be excited and say, Ah, you can do anything. Ah, you know, God's power. <laughs> That's. Uh, I hope you get that right. Uh, Nimi, go ahead. Um, good evening, sir. Thanks Amen. for today's message. Oh. Um, okay, I don't have any questions, but. What I learned was that um, studying the Bible, you have to do it very diligently because it's your worship to God. And that if you don't do it diligently or you don't do it well, you misinterpret 
God and you worship, like the way you worship God will be heard, that it should be wrong. So that was that. Led. And I also learned about like the John 316. Um, I said John 316, the John one, the word, because I knew, I knew, I knew it, but I didn't know it clearly. But when you now explained it, it made a lot more sense to me. Hmm. Okay, awesome. Lots of learning is going on. That's good. I'm happy for you, maybe. All right. So, you know, this was Larry. Yeah, on this call, you will not say anything. People are on this. Oh, call. sorry. I was about to ask a question. Oh yeah, ask a question anyway. Um. So you know the regular things that we do before we study the word we say our oh, holy spirit let the word become like truth and life and is it is it a wrong practice okay so i guess that question is still the role of the holy spirit in bible study or bible interpretation okay so i think it's first to settle in your heart that bible the interpretation is done by you you are the one who interprets scriptures and that the meaning is in the text. The meaning is not out there, it's in the text. A text cannot mean what it never meant. You can't invent meaning. And the point is that, now, have I heard a person say before, maybe uh, the Spirit of God pointed this out to me in Scripture? Yes, I have. But in those cases, I, I did not rely on whatever the person said was interpretation. I went to the scripture itself to do my own due diligence. Do you understand? Before I accepted what that person said, if he did the due diligence, applied the rules of hermeneutic of Bible interpretation, and he doesn't, and the answer is not consistent, right? What I I we, we I saw clearly explained is <coughs> not consistent with what you said. You said the spirit of God put put in your heart. Then I'll throw it away and discard it sharply. Do you understand? So the point is that what does the Holy Ghost do? The Holy Ghost guides. He guides. So all this information that you guys are, are sharing now is guidance. Sometimes it's guiding you to the right, like as, as your pastor guiding you, me to the right people or the right materials to study or you know, to understand these things, or putting my own pastor's heart to share. Do you understand? Uh, sometimes it could be that prompting where, ah, read this verse again. Read the verse again. No, you missed it. Read. It can be, the Holy Ghost can do that. Do you understand? Read the verse again. Didn't you notice that? You know, he point you to, didn't you see? Well, no, you, no, come back. Didn't you see that? He said, oh, you know, that's the point. He guides you to that truth. So he doesn't tell you, he guides you. So you, you see it. You see it. So but what sometimes people use that, use the Holy Ghost for is to say that the Holy Ghost will now give them the meaning. And that meaning, there's no way that meaning, it can mean that if somebody just sat down and looked at the text, looked at the context, the, the different things we mentioned, it's not possible. So that's what I'll say. So yes, I pray. I I, I think it makes sense. Yes, so Holy Spirit, I'm going to study. Um, I'm guided into truth, and yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think it's commendable. You get to also realize because there's the Holy Ghost that will help you. It will help you. But how will He help you? He won't help you by telling you this is what the verse means. Let's say 
He will help you by guiding you through the rules, established rules of hermeneutics of, of Bible interpretation to come to a proper answer. You know, so I hope that makes sense, Larry. <coughs> that makes sense. Okay. So I'm waiting for the next person to speak. While I'm, while I'm waiting, um, I would say, Faith says, I let them understand the word Christ diligence. And when we are diligent in the writing scripture, we worship and serve God. Understanding God's words properly help us have the right minds. Understanding who God is. Elam says, Thank you for today's teaching. I learned that the study of the Bible takes diligence and labor. You cannot just rush through or just read and study, but we should understand at times the culture of people. Spoke at a time. I have a question about the divine council, guys. When God divided the nations, if God knew that they would err, then why did he still give them? <laughs> if God knew they would err, why did he still give them? It's like asking that question is like asking. But God knew that Adam would be why did God create him? Or it's like asking that. But God knew that. Um Christian will still be as funny as they are today. So why did he give his spirit to them? Abby, I put out a, a post. I, I don't know. I'm still afraid to post it on my status. But there's this post. <laughs> a woman came. She came with violence. She came violently to finish all the females that I like, like to dress with lo and behold, exposing their breasts. You have you want you come for church wedding, all your brides, she bridesmaids, all of them are almost looking naked. She came for them one by one. So I was almost afraid of sharing such violence. Or maybe I'll share it on the year in Lagos, but I think other people have digested and found it useful. How did I even get there? Anyway, um, but that's the point. The point is that again, just like the divine council, the Bible in the book of Job it actually tells you that God doesn't trust his holy ones. He doesn't trust them. And, and the fact that they are they are actually imperfect. When you look at them, you realize that they are imperfect. They are just like us. Forget the fact that they have all the flappy wings and things. They are just like us. They are not perfect. So that means that they are making make mistakes. They do dumb stuff. <coughs> Imagine that other guy saying, "I'll be like the Most High." You know. So that tells you clearly that they are not. They 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 ain't that smart, Chief. They, they ain't that smart, you know. Yes, they're not they're not that smart. So that's why basically it's just free will. It's the same free will thing that we've been talking about. Yeah, he knew he knew that, but the same thing how he knows your next action. He knows what you do. He knows that you can't misbehave. He knows that you can't collect boyfriend. He knows you guy. He knows all things you still do. He knows you will not preach. You will still deny him, but yet he will still give you life. He will still give you his spirit. And everything, knowing very well what you do, he knows the end from the beginning, but he still does it. I think God God likes to allow things play out, <laughs> so allows it play out. <coughs> so I hope that made sense. Enough. Priscilla says, "I learned the Bible was written for us and not to us, and so we have to study. We have to keep that in mind. <laughs> the culture and the context is very important for Bible interpretation. All translations we read now are not just but also interpretations by different people." Holy Spirit doesn't appear for us, but guys are studied. The authority of the meaning of the text is with the text. Okay, Jesus said, I said, oh no. Okay, Pastor, thank you. Okay, someone is asking, what does just mean when he said the Holy Ghost will teach us all things? Actually, the Holy Ghost will bring things into our remembrance. So I'll give that as an assignment to you. Go there, go and look at the word remembrance, go and how the word is used. 
and that you know but I'll, I'll i'll give you a hint all right um the the passover for example when he says um jesus said um this is my body this is my blood he says and he says broken are you he says do this in remembrance of me well that word remembrance is actually i i challenge you these are seven i'll give you go and do a study on that word remembrance i said the word is used over scripture and then you say that word remembrance has nothing to do with hope you're remembering me rather the word actually is um it's the same word when you say for example that god remembered hannah or god remembered sarah or god remembered so and so it doesn't mean that god forgets but it's just that god's attention was placed on that person so and jesus was talking at the passover feast and he said what well, now that Passover, that when they say my body my blood eating bread and all that stuff it was actually during passover Passover in the Old Testament, the one that the land, the, the this thing passed over, the eight of them passed over. That's what they were doing. So that bread they were eating is the is bread, all those things that Moses had prescribed for them. So he was actually telling them, the Bible says that Christ is our Passover. The New Testament tells us that, that Christ is actually our Passover. That means that lamb, that lamb symbolizes Christ. How they, because of the lamb, because of the sacrifice of the lamb, death passed over. That's the same way that death passes over us because of what Christ does. So Christ is telling them that this feast you are, you are doing, right? You know it's about that, but now he says, do this with me in mind. I am the Passover. So do it knowing I am the Passover. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not like you're saying, oh, as I remember me, then because I'm, no, that's not what it is. So you can get the idea of that, that remembrance. So I'll give you as, a, as an assignment. Okay, um, so as well, just to be sure, what we have in common with God is our spirit being. If so, why aren't the other spirits? Uh, we say common uh, again, we're not God, that's my point. We are spirit, God is spirit, but we're not God, so it's not like that is common. We are made, we are created. The fact that you are created and God is not created puts you on two different categories entirely. You understand? Um, so. <laughs> So that's the idea. If you get, that's the idea. Uh, why is Elon crying? <laughs> As Elon crying, I don't see any pastors asking any questions. Okay, no worry. Maybe what I'll do is that maybe next week I'll make one of the pastors to come and teach this usage. And <laughs> teach this usage. That would be interesting. All right. So um, I think that that basically is is it. Um, Again, please let me say this to you, please. If you don't understand what we thought, go back to the message and listen again. Listen severally till you get it. And I will suggest you to that practically pick the words I spoke about and do your own study. The, uh, the software I use is eSword, but there are other ones. There's eSword Bible study, but um, for android users they won't have eSword, but they will have my sword there's my sword bible that gives you that or that's lexicon my sword bible this is eSword, although you have to pay like five dollars for it if you're an ios user um but the desktop app is free for windows users all right eSword, you can just go check it out and you should be able to figure that out okay so people of god i guess that's it for tonight bless you thank you for coming have a wonderful night and we'll see uh, okay this week this saturday is, is i think it's departmental meetings departmental um uh meetings yes so 
Mamasa will not hold. Okay? All right, people of God, take care. Bless you. Good night.